Father God, thank you. Um, thank you for who you are. Uh, thank you for revealing yourself to us and giving us your word. Um, and the more we understand your word, the more we dig into it, the more amazed we become uh, at how clear your story is and how clear your plan is uh, and how much you did for us through your son. So God, give us more knowledge of that today. Help us not only to know it, but to feel it, to believe it, uh, and for it to have a return on the investment in love that we'd be willing to love you more and through that love our neighbors. Uh, thank you for this study uh, and for the book of Leviticus. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you don't know where we're going to be tonight, it's Leviticus chapter 16. Um, last week we focused on all of the feasts of Israel. Um, and tonight we're going to stop and just deal with one of those holy days, one of those festivals, the Day of Atonement. Now, when we went through Exodus, we stopped and we had a whole evening on the Passover. And the reason for that is, as much as we're trying to do an overview of a book of the Bible, and as much as all scripture, as Second Timothy tells us, uh, from, through the writings of Paul, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for training in righteousness. Sometimes there are moments in the scriptures that really carry a lot of weight that help you understand the rest. Passover is one of those moments. The Day of Atonement is another. The Day of Atonement, just as with the tabernacle and the high priest's garments, make understanding the book of Hebrews significantly easier. It helps us actually understand what Jesus accomplished on the cross according to God's law and God's own word. So with that, uh, let's dig in to the scriptures themselves. But before we go into chapter 16, I want to read one verse out of chapter 17. Um, since we're not going to be covering it, I do want to state this one verse out of chapter 17 because it covers really what we've talked about in the sacrifices of Leviticus and what we're talking about tonight. So in chapter 17, verse 11, Leviticus states this, for the life of the flesh is in the blood and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls for it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. This is a Levitical idea. This is the, the point, one of the major points of this entire book is that life comes from the blood and blood is what is used to make atonement for sins. It is taking and covering our guilt with the innocence of the purity of the innocent blood. In the Old Testament, as we're dealing with the Day of Atonement, the word atonement in the Old Testament in the Hebrew really means to cover. This is the day of, of covering. But there is something interesting else that happens on the day of atonement because all of the sacrifices in Leviticus deal with covering your sin, not taking the sin away, not removing it, just covering it. So the day of atonement paints an even better picture of who Christ is because Christ does more than cover, he removes. 
So chapter 16, now the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron when they offered profane fire before the Lord and died. So just for some context, Aaron had two sons who, and we don't even, we don't really know what they did. We don't know if they put the wrong materials on the altar of incense. We don't know if they didn't perform a sacrifice correctly, if they were ceremonially unclean when they entered the Holy of Holies or the holy place. All we know is they didn't follow the instructions of God before they entered into his presence in the tent of meeting in the tabernacle, and they died as a result of that. Which is an interesting way to start this chapter because there are so many things the high priest has to go through to enter God's presence so that he isn't killed because we can't be in front of God with sin. He can't, sin cannot be in God's presence. And so this is what deals with it. Um, And so I think it's interesting that chapter 16, even though it seems as though it's part of a previous story, what a great way to start the Day of Atonement to understand how holy what we're talking about is being in the presence of God. And it's about, if there's any sin, you can't be in the presence of God. So sin is the problem that needs to be removed. And the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, your brother, not to come at just any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat, which is on the ark, lest he die, for I will appear in the cloud above the mercy seat. So he's telling Moses, Make sure Aaron doesn't just walk into the holy place. He can't just come in. More needs to be done because my presence is there. So he can't walk in at any time. This is a holy moment and things need to happen in order for him to be in my presence. So thus Aaron shall come into the holy place with the blood of a young bull as a sin offering and of a ram as a burnt offering. He shall put the holy linen tunic and the fine linen trousers on his body. He shall be girded with a linen sash and with the linen turban, and he shall be attired. These are holy garments. Therefore, he shall wash his body in water and put them on, and he shall take them from the congregation of the children of Israel, two kids of the goats, as a sin offering, and one ram as a burnt offering. So, what has to happen? Aaron, as the high priest, and subsequently every high priest after Aaron, they have to wash themselves so that they're ceremonially pure. Then they need to put on the white linen portions of the high priest's garments, only the white linen portions, only the portions that represent purity. They are stripped from the glory of the ephod and the blue and the purple and the precious stones. They're stripped from the beauty and the glory of the high priest's garments, and they're just putting on the symbol of purity after they've washed themselves. And then they have to come with the blood of a bull into the holy place to make sacrifice for themselves first before they make a sacrifice for the nation of Israel. So verse six, Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering, which is for himself and make atonement for himself and for his house. He shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Then Aaron shall cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for the scapegoat. So 
Aaron or the high priest must make atonement for himself, must make an offering for himself, go into the Holy of Holies, sprinkle the blood on the altar for himself so that he's considered pure before God and sinless. Then he comes out and there's two goats and these goats were supposed to be identical. And then you would cast lots for the goat and whichever goat, the right or the left, that the the lots would land on that is the goat that would be used for the sacrifice. The other one would be the scapegoat, which we'll get to. But in tradition, which I don't want to get too far deep into tradition because it's not, it's rabbinical tradition and it's interesting, but it's not biblical. Um, but there was a tradition where it was, it was considered good fortune if the goat on the right was chosen by, by the lots. Because that meant that you earned God's favor and he was going to accept the sacrifice. If the lots landed on the goat on the left, it was considered a bad sign. Um, Just like last week when we talked about the fact that they would, in tradition, they would put that red scarf around the scapegoat. Um, And if the red turned to white, it would be a good sign that God had accepted the offering. Um, Well, it turns out in this tradition, um, according to rabbinical writings and Talmudic tradition, that after Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, every single time the scarf didn't turn white and every single time the lots landed on the goat on the left, considering it a sign that the sacrifice wasn't accepted by the Lord each year. Now again, that's not coming from a scriptural place. That's coming from Jewish writings and rabbinical tradition. Um, But very interesting that even from a Jewish source, that once Jesus' sacrifice happened, it seems their traditions lined up with God not accepting the sacrifice because the ultimate sacrifice had already been made. Um, So just an interesting piece of uh, history. Um, That's up until 70 AD when the temple was destroyed and there hasn't been sacrifices since. Now, Uh, Aaron shall bring the bull of sin offering, which is for himself, and make atonement for himself, and for his house shall kill the bull and the sin offering, which is for himself. Then he shall take a censer full of burning coals of fire from the altar before the Lord with his hands full of sweet incense, beaten fine, and bring it inside the veil. And he shall put the incense on the fire uh, before the Lord. The cloud of incense may cover the mercy seat that is on the testimony, lest he die." He shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the mercy seat on the east side. And before the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. So Aaron is not only bringing blood from the bull into the Holy of Holies when he goes to make the sacrifice for himself to sprinkle on the mercy seat. He's also bringing in incense in a censer so that the Holy of Holies fills with smoke and covers the holy place and the mercy seat, which sits on top of the Ark of the Covenant, with smoke, so that Aaron is covered by the prayers of the saints as he goes in to officially make the sacrifice for himself. If he's not covered by that smoke, he dies. So remember that the smoke from the altar of incense where he would get this to put in the censer was that incense was lit by a coal from the bronze altar that had blood on the coal that would light the incense. That would go in, and so the smoke would be coming from that, from the brazen altar, um, 
into the holy place covering Aaron as he makes atonement for his own sins. Uh, So you're seeing a lot of the ritual and he had to be clean and wear the robes that represent purity. He had to offer a sacrifice to himself. He had to bring in the incense with him all to, to make it so that he could be in the presence of God as he makes a sacrifice for himself. Now, then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering, which is for the people. So after he has made the offering for himself, and not only is Aaron wearing all of the clothes that represent purity, but now he's considered pure pure before God as the high priest, he can now take care of the offering for the sin of the people. Bring its blood inside the veil. Do Do with that blood as he did with the blood of the bull and sprinkle it on the mercy seat. Before the, and before the mercy seat. So he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel and because of their transgressions for all their sins. And so he shall do for the tabernacle of meeting which remains among them in the midst of their uncleanness. There shall be no man in the tabernacle of meeting when he goes in to make atonement in the holy place until he comes out. Then he may make atonement for himself, for his household, and for the assembly of Israel. Well, basically, God is just saying, no one else is supposed to be in the tent of meeting at all. Not even in the, in the holy, not, not just not in the holy of holies, but also not in the holy place where the lampstand and the table of showbread is. Nobody enters except the high priest. And interestingly, the rest of the year, all of the other priests were the ones doing the sacrifices. This day, only the high priest does all of the work. Usually the high priest isn't involved in the sacrifices throughout the rest of the year. But on this day, only the high priest is doing all of the work. And he's the one going into the holy place, into the holy of holies. And he's the only one who's allowed to enter. Um, And he, of course, is the only one who's ever allowed to enter the holy of holies um, at any time. And only once a year. He shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it. He shall take some blood of the bull and some of the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar all around. He shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times and cleanse it and concentrate it from the uncleanness of the children of Israel. So you've seen that a couple times now. The blood sprinkling happens seven times. Seven tends to be a number that represents completeness. This is complete atonement for the sins of the people um, and for the sin of the high priest as he sprinkles it on. Now the horns typically of the altar, the horns represented mercy. So the blood is going on to a place that represents mercy. So you're getting complete atonement and complete mercy from God. And when he has made an end of atoning for the holy place, the tabernacle of meeting and the altar, he shall bring the live goat. Now this is the scapegoat. Now one goat was killed to make atonement for the sins of the people and that blood covered the sin of the people. Just like with all of the other sacrifices, the blood covers the sin. The scapegoat does something else, something very different. So what happens? Aaron shall lay his hands on the head of the live goat, confess over it all of the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions concerning all their sins, putting them on the head of the goat and shall send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a suitable man. The goat shall bear on itself all of their iniquities to an uninhabited land, and he shall release the goat into the wilderness. So the scapegoat 
And notice here, it doesn't say anything about Aaron washing his hands yet. So Aaron's bloody hands go onto the head of the goat as he puts his hands on the goat. This is a transference from, of the sin of the people onto the scapegoat. And the scapegoat bears the sins of the people. Now the sins have been covered by the blood of the other goat. But now they're put upon the scapegoat as Aaron confesses all of the sins of the people onto the scapegoat. And then he's sent out into the wilderness to an uninhabited land. So sin, the sin of the people is sent away. It's taken away. This reminds me of, of the Psalms when it says that he has removed our sin as far as the east is from the west. This is a grand picture of that. The scapegoat take, bearing the sins of the people exiting. Now, again, part of the tradition here is that they, they used to have uh, signal posts where the goat was released. So when it got to the end of its journey and it was released into the wilderness, once the person who was responsible for that could no longer see the goat, they would let the signal person know and then a signal would go up from that point until it got all the way back to the, ta to the tabernacle or the temple. And that's when they would be able to celebrate because the sin had been removed from the people. So there's no sacrifice that takes away the sin of the nation. But the scapegoat, after the sin has been covered, takes the sin away. So Jesus is both the sacrifice and the scapegoat because he's the ultimate sacrifice. And you see him in both. It says, Then Aaron shall come into the tabernacle of meeting and shall take off the linen garments which he put on when he went into the holy place and shall leave them there. So after the scapegoat comes back, he takes off the garment and he washes his body with water in a holy place and then puts on his garments, come out and offer his burnt offering and burnt offering for the people and make atonement for himself and for the people. The fat of the sin offering he shall burn on the altar, and he shall be, uh, and he who released the goat as the scapegoat shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water, and afterward he may come into the camp. The bull for the sin offering and the goat for the sin offering, whose blood was brought in to make atonement in the holy place, shall be carried outside the camp. And they shall burn in the fire their skins, their flesh, and their offal, or all of the intestines. So, after the scapegoat, the sin is gone. Then the high priest takes off his clothes, washes himself to make himself ceremonially clean again from all the blood, puts his clothes back on. The person who was responsible for the scapegoat also washes themselves in water to make themselves clean again. And then the high priest performs a burnt offering, which if you remember from a couple of weeks ago, a burnt offering is a wholly consumed offering. And it represents... What Paul tells us, what we should be a living sacrifice in Romans 12, 1. Wholly consumed. So if you are truly repentant, the sin is gone. The sin's covered. The sin has been taken away. And now as a repentant person, you offer your life as a burnt offering, as a wholly consumed offering, wholly consumed by the Lord. This is what we refer to when we talk about someone who is on fire for the Lord. They're wholly consumed. They have given themselves over as a living sacrifice, as a burnt offering. 
And so this is supposed to represent the nation's relationship to God. Once the sin of the nation is taken away and the repentance has been made, now they are supposed to be a nation wholly consumed by the fire of God. They're supposed to be living wholly for him. This is, this shall be a statute for you in the seventh month. On the 10th day of the month, you shall afflict your souls and do no work at all, whether a native of your own country or a stranger who dwells among you. For on that day, the priest shall make atonement for you to cleanse you, that you may be clean from all your sins before the Lord. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest for you, and you shall afflict your souls. It is a statute forever. So this holiday, when it talks about being solemn rest and shall afflict your souls, this is a moment of reflection. This is a moment of deep connection and reflection and a solemn, holy moment with God. And for us, that holiday is approaching, Good Friday. And the priest who is anointed and consecrated to minister as priest in his father's place shall make atonement and put on linen clothes, the holy garments. Then he shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary. He shall make atonement for the tabernacle of meeting and for the altar. He shall make atonement for the priests, for all the people of the assembly, this shall be an everlasting statute to make atonement for the children of Israel for all their sins once a year as he did, uh, and he did as the Lord commanded Moses. So that's the day of atonement. It's holy, it's sacred, it's solemn. It's meant to be a time of deep reflection. It's a symbol of the ultimate sacrifice to come, of not just the sin being covered for all, but the sin actually being taken away. And then for those who will receive that to be wholly consumed with the burnt offering and turn their lives over to God and be a part of his kingdom. So it is up to you to receive it. But here's the problem. This became a ritual. So it's easy to live knowing that religious ceremony is enough to get you through. It's easy to go through the checklist. It's easy to say, I go to church every Sunday. It's easy to say, I pray when I eat my meals. It's easy to say, I read my Bible sometimes. It was easy for the Jewish people who would flirt with the pagan gods of the countries that surrounded them and take on some of their practices to come back to the Day of Atonement and say, it's okay because we have a religious practice rather than a relationship with God. This was never meant to be a religious practice that took care of everything for you. As long as you check the box, you're good with God. That was never what religion was meant to be. That's what religion became. That's not what God wants for us. That's not what Jesus had for us. Jesus consistently yelled at the Pharisees and the Sadducees because of how they elevated tradition and ceremony over actual relationship with God and caring about God's people. They should have been the shepherds of the people as the religious experts. Instead, they looked down on the people and were arrogant about their own ability to get all of the religious ceremony right. And that's something that, as we understand it, we understand the cultural significance of what this was, it still exists in its own way in the church today through legalism, in that we, come, we become so comforted by our traditions and our ceremonies rather 
than through our actual relationship with God and knowing that the atonement has been made and that the sin has been taken away. Instead, we hope that we can just keep leaning on that rather than becoming a burnt offering, becoming a living sacrifice that can live wholly consumed by the fire of God and live for him as we were meant to. And that's what Paul meant. Romans 12, 2. Don't conform to the pattern of the world. Don't conform to the checklist. Be transformed. D.L. Moody once said, the Bible was not meant to give us information. It was, be- it was meant for our transformation. Now, I actually think both are true. It's meant for our information and our transformation. But there's such truth in that, that we can get legalistic, just like the Pharisees and the Sadducees did, just like many different parts of the church history has happened and get focused on the ceremony, the ritual, and the tradition over the relationship and remember to give ourselves, ourselves up as a living sacrifice, wholly consumed, rather than always expecting Christ to be the sacrifice because that sacrifice is done. It was paid in full. Now it's up to us to live in a relationship with Jesus and a relationship with God. Um, And Jesus fulfilled the requirements. And he fulfilled the requirements of the Day of Atonement forever and of all the sacrifices of Leviticus so that we don't ever have to stand outside of the tent of meeting. We're invited right in to God's presence if we receive it and become a sacrifice ourselves. So that's Day of Atonement. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this piece of scripture. Help it not to become just information but help us translate that information to transformation that we can be changed by it and know and understand what you completed on the cross. You didn't just cover our sins temporarily. You covered them eternally. But you also did more than cover them. You took them away. Help us to live our lives understanding that we are now welcome in your presence if we receive that and we can be wholly consumed with your love and grace, and mercy, and we can live out loud our faith and spread that message to others. Help us to do that in Jesus' name. Amen.